Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, if you'd open up to Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 8. That's going to be, we're going to be in a lot of places today, but that's going to be the main verse uh, that we kind of start with today and kind of sets the theme for the whole, the whole service, really. Um, and just so you know, Pastor Brian is, uh, he's away on vacation. He's uh, enjoying some time off. And I just, I'd encourage you this week, uh, as you think about it, to pray for him and Michelle as they're getting some time away. You know, Pastor Brian, he loves you guys, and he really does give 100%. And so time away, is it, just pray that he'd have a great time of rest, a uh, great time of renewal, because I know when he's away, you guys are still on his mind, and, and all the things that go with leading a church. And, and I know we just talked about it last week, how thankful we are for him, but keep him in your prayers this week. Just pray that he'd come back refreshed, and um, he's able to continue doing the things God's called him to do, which he does so well, and we're so thankful for. So yeah, as I said, open up your Bibles to Matthew 5, 8. We're going to be continuing our series this week, Upside Down Kingdom. And so what we've been talking about is how the kingdom that God is calling you and me to, he's calling all Christians to, is so different than the kingdoms of this world. And what that means, the way this world operates is so different than the way God operates. I mean, one simple one, just off the top of my head, would be this. God calls us to live for eternity, right? God's kingdom is forever. This right now is just a short time. This time we have on earth is so short, and we live it knowing that there is life beyond this that stretches on into eternity. So we make decisions now based upon knowing we're a part of an eternal kingdom that we wouldn't make otherwise if we were just living for temporary, if we were just living for the things of this world. But, but it goes beyond that, you know. And last, uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Brian talked to us about how if we're going to live out the kingdom of God, if we're going to be the, the people he's called us to be, kind of the key to living that out is to be humble, is to be poor in spirit and realizing we need God. We need him to live the life he's called us to live. And, and we need it more than we even realize. And so I hope these last couple weeks, you've been reminded by that. And instead of relying on your own strength, you keep going back to God who provides the strength, who provides the resources we need. And then last week, we talked about how true satisfaction, where does that come from? It only comes from Him. And we live in a world where, where the way of this world is seeking satisfaction anywhere we can. And, and, and yet we never find it, whether it be pursuing a job, whether it be relationships, whatever it is we're trusting in to bring us that satisfaction and purpose in our lives. If it's not Jesus, it falls short. And so we talked about that. But this week, we're going to be talking about our one thing. The one thing. And I love Christianity, I'll tell you why, because it's so simple. There's some verses in Scripture that by themselves explain huge chunks of Scripture. Really, some books of the Bible almost are summed up into short statements. For instance, John 3.16, I think it's why we all have it memorized, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I mean, that's like the gospel in a nutshell, right? Well, another one of these verses that sums up so much of the scripture is Matthew 5, 8. Matthew 5, 8, and here's what it says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Just one sentence. 
but encapsulates so much of what Scripture tells us over and over again. And so what, what is this? It's so simple. We just have a promise from God, simply stated. Those who have a pure heart are blessed, and they will see God. All of Scripture, I'm telling you, Old Testament, New Testament, they echo this same point from when Moses was leading the Israelites and he said, listen, you guys are following the forms, but it's your heart that needs changed. I mean, all the way through to when Jesus came and to when the apostles went out, it always comes back to the heart. Here's just one of numerous examples. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 in the New Living Translation says it like this. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. So here we go, it's simple. If you wanna see God, if you wanna stand in this presence, and he's talking about, remember, in this series we've been talking about, it's not just in eternity, but it's now. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're praying that God's will would be done, his kingdom would come now, on earth as it is in heaven. Now we know it's gonna be so much greater there, but God actually wants to bring his kingdom to life through us. So when he says we're gonna see God, it doesn't just mean in eternity, but it means now. I mean, we're gonna see God at work in our lives, in the lives of those around us. We're gonna see him where we didn't see him before because he's at work right now. So here it is, if you wanna stand in his presence, if you wanna see God work, a pure heart is necessary. You gotta have a pure heart. But I think there can be a lot of confusion about what a pure heart is. What does it mean to have a pure heart? You know, you know I know working with teens, the very first thing we think of when we hear purity, right? Whenever you hear purity, I mean, they've got the rings, we think about saving yourself for marriage. That's what teens think about when they hear the word purity. But what do you think about? Because really there's kind of two sides to this. And most people fall on one side or the other. But let's start right now. Let's define what is the heart. So if the heart's got to be pure, what is the heart? Well, it's not your beating heart in your chest right now. When, when the scripture talks about your heart, it's talking about the center, the center of you, who you are, that controls everything you do. Your heart directs your life. Okay, it's spiritual. It's not your physical heart, but it's the center of your will from which all other decisions you make come from. A couple passages talk about this. Later on in Matthew, it says this, your mouth speaks what your heart is full of. Okay? It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the things I'm saying, they have a source. They don't just come out, but they come from within. They come from my heart. So if I'm constantly being thankful, if I'm constantly, constantly have words that just praise God, if I constantly have words that encourage others, guess what? That's all flowing from my heart. It's just because of where my heart is. But you know what? If I'm constantly being negative, that has a source too, right? If, if I almost find enjoyment sometimes in talking bad about others when they're not paying attention or bringing, maybe there's just a few people I like to bring down, maybe when they're not around or maybe when they are around. That has a source too. See, what we say isn't just what we say, it's an overflow 
of what's in our heart. And now I know we've all, you know, maybe stubbed our toe and maybe said something we shouldn't have said, okay? And, you know, I, I think there's, there's some room in there, but the reality is what you're saying on a regular basis, your conversations reflect in a large way your heart because your heart's overflowing. But it goes beyond this, okay? Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart. Now, we don't have time to get into all that this verse means because you got to remember this is um, Solomon writing this, who's supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus, and he says above everything else, guard your heart. There's another sermon in there. You'll have to work it out yourself. I don't have time. Okay? Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you are doing flows from your heart. Everything I am doing flows from my heart. The life you are living is really just a symptom of your heart condition. Have you thought about that? The life you're living is just a symptom of your heart condition. Your attitude, whether positive or negative, symptom of your heart. Your words, positive or negative, symptom of your heart. Your actions, they're a symptom, just of your heart. Your prayer life, symptom, just a symptom of your heart. Are you reaching out to people? Are you trying to connect them to Jesus? You want them to know Jesus, and, and you do that, symptom of your heart. All these things are symptoms of our heart. Now, one of the confusing, confusing things we have is at times you'll hear people say, and I've said this before, and I'm sure you have too or you've heard it. You'll hear someone say, oh man, he's got a good heart. He's just gotten a bit of trouble lately. Or she's really a good girl deep down. She's just made a few bad decisions. And I'm, I understand the sentiment of that. We all understand the sentiment of that. We know this person. We know that this guy or this girl is capable of so much more. We know there's the potential for better. We know, and maybe we've seen it in the past, maybe we've seen it at times, but here's a reality. If you're taking notes, you might wanna write this down. Your heart is not somehow better than your life. Your heart controls your life, right? So the heart is what's in control and directing me. Now, I'm not saying we don't make mistakes, and if you do and you ask God to forgive you, you move on. Your heart is, can definitely be better than your past, but your heart is not gonna be better than your present. Your heart directs your present. And so while I understand the sentiment, and I'm not saying we couldn't say that or that's wrong to say, we just have to understand that reality is our lives are just a symptom of our heart condition, what our heart is set on. And I'll tell you, in church, guys, one of the temptations we can have, one of the, one of the issues we can have, and it leads to legalism, is this. We can focus more on symptoms than on the actual problem itself. Let me give you just kind of an example. It seems like once or twice a year I get sinus infections. I just get, and I was told I need to speak to somebody in here about that. Um, I get sinus infections, and you know, they're terrible. And, and I know, you, I, I've had them so often since I was about 12 years old that now I know when they're coming. Like, I know when I have a sinus infection with about 95% accuracy. It just feels different. I won't get into all the details of what's different, but let me just tell you, it's different than a normal cold. 
It's worse, it's more painful. And so when I get those, there's not many things that send me to the doctor. I like to, to st not go to the doctor, but I'll tell you two things that do, sinus infections and chiggers. If you haven't heard about the chiggers, we don't have time. But let me tell you, there's two things that get me to the doctor, sinus infections and chiggers, because they're bad. And so these sinus infections, I get them a lot. A couple years ago, I went to the doctor, and when I go to the doctor, every time I got a sinus infection, they give me a Z-Pack. Who's ever been on a Z-Pack, right? They give me a Z-Pack, and they say, take this two, three days, you're gonna be feeling fine, but make sure you complete it, because you, you wanna get rid of it all the way, and you'll be feeling better. So, I go to the doctor, I go to get my Z-Pack, and I walk in, and I, I go to urgent care, it's not my doctor, and a uh, lady comes in, and I'm sure she knows a lot, but she, I told her, I said, I, I, I'm pretty sure this is a sinus infection. I, I get them all the time. And she looked over my symptoms and she says, you know what? There's a really bad viral cold that's going around. I think that's what you have, okay? So you don't need to, you, I'll just give you some stuff for the symptoms and you'll be fine in a couple days. So I left, you know what? I wasn't fine in a couple days. It kept getting worse. And so I went back in and she said, you know, I think you might have a sinus infection. And I said, you do? No, I didn't. I was respectful. I was like, okay, yeah, me too. And so then she gave me something to treat the actual disease rather than the symptom. And in two or three days, I felt better. But guys, here's what we can do in our own spiritual life. Here's what we can do in church. We can try and treat the symptoms rather than the disease. And let me tell you, the things we're doing, the sins that we've, we commit, they come from here they come from my heart and so while i may be having something that i'm struggling with over and over and so i i try to just like say i don't want to do that anymore i don't want to do that anymore but the reality is i have a heart problem it, it that's a symptom of it and, and i want to clear up the symptoms and, and a lot of times in church we, we even range symptoms, you know, like, well, that's not as bad as that sin. Th this, is, this one's not as bad as the other. You're still okay. Even though you're not, you know, where you should be, at least it's not as bad as the other. But the reality is, it's the beginning of a sickness in the heart. And that's where we have to have the healing. It's got to come from the heart. See, a lot of us can try what I call sin management. I have a name for it because I tried it myself. And, and, you know, you've, you've seen the picture of the guy, you know, in the boat, or you've seen a comic or something, put a finger in this hole, and then something pops out over here, and so you put a finger in that hole, and then water starts coming out over here, and your boat's sinking, and you're just trying to plug all the holes. That's what sin management is like. And what drives us to that is often we feel like because of the sin that we have, because of the holes in our lives, because of the way we're living, God won't accept us how we are, so we have to manage the sin so that then when we come to God, we can be like, look it, I got it fixed. Now will you forgive me? But that's not how this works. See, Jesus wants to help you. He will help you. You can't, you can't do it on your own. And when you do, you stress yourself out. You wear yourself out focusing on the problems when in reality is there's one problem from which all other problems flow. It's right here. And Jesus died so that it could be changed he died he rose again he sent his spirit so that your heart and my heart too could be changed so when we talk about the heart this is what we're talking about it's the center that directs everything that you and i are doing it all comes 
from here. But now let's take a minute, let's talk about what pure means. We gotta have a pure heart, and I already talked a little bit earlier, is a lot of times we think about it, it in relationships, like save yourself for marriage, or we think uh, about it not, you know, staying away from sin, and both those things are elements of purity, but when you really think about pure, what I first think about, really, is I think about a ring. I think about gold, I think about silver, and if it's pure, if it's, if it's just one thing. See, pure gold is only gold. See, you get all the impurities out of it, and then it's gold, it's one thing. And so when we, when we think about having a pure heart, here's what it is, it's about having a heart that's got the impurities removed, and it's set on one thing. And it's set on one thing, 100%. If it's less than 100%, if it's 80%, it's not pure, right? If, if, if I gave Alyssa a ring and I said it's 50% gold and uh, the other 50% don't worry about, you know, she's going to say, well, what's the other 50%? It's, it's just plated. It's just on the outside. See, that's what our sin management does. It tries to clean up the outside. But purity, really, it comes from within. And what people don't see is just as, as important as what people do see. That's what purity is. And I know what you're thinking. Travis, that's impossible. Some of you are thinking, Travis, that's impossible to have 100% for God. To have a pure heart that's for God 100%. And I know why you're thinking that. Because you still make mistakes, and so do I. And the most common argument you would ever hear about having a pure heart is this. Everybody stumbles. I hear that all the time. You can't have a pure heart, Travis. Everybody stumbles. And you know what? I completely agree with that. You want to know what the key thing about stumbling is? It's an accident. It's not on purpose. If you stumble on purpose... You're not, it's not stumbling. You're, you're, you're doing something else. When you stumble, you're trying to walk a certain direction and you lose your footing. It's not intentional, but sometimes what we do is we say everybody stumbles so that I can excuse my intentional sin, the things I know I shouldn't have done that are coming from the heart, and I say everybody stumbles, but really, it's, that's not what stumbling is at all. Nobody's going to be faultless in this room. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have lapses in judgment. But thank God that he's not focused on that because God doesn't judge anyone based upon the outward. He looks at the heart. And what's in the heart? It's all about motive. It's all about intent. So a man who's walking a direction, a woman who's walking a direction and stumbles, but they're trying to go the right direction, God says, I know you were going the right way. You lost your footing. Let's keep going. It's totally different than someone who intentionally says, I'm going to go my own direction for a while, right? Do we see the difference? It's so different because it's all about the heart. And 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, when, you've, when you have messed up, when you have made mistakes, God knows where your heart was. I don't. I can't see that. See, uh, we, we see each other from the outside, and so we see somebody who, you know, maybe, maybe uh, responds harshly in a situation, and we think, oh, man, you know, that, that person shouldn't have responded that way. But we don't know all the situations of that day. We don't know where that person was. We don't know what their heart was. But I'll tell you this. Whenever a pure heart understands that they made a mistake, that they did some wrong, 
pure heart tries to make it right. Pure heart tries to make it right. And see, a heart that's not pure doesn't worry about that as much. But a pure heart is set in one direction. It's 100% on following Jesus. And when it stumbles, when it makes mistakes, it corrects it and it keeps going. That's a pure heart. It's set upon one thing. And guys, here's the reality. I want to tell you, for each one of us here, whatever your sin is, whatever the struggle is for you, if you have something like that you've been struggling with for a while, you think... God wants to change that, and, and you know what, in a way, He does, but I'm telling you, He wants to start somewhere else. Whatever your struggle is, God wants to start with your heart. He's not concerned, He's not like that doctor, He's not going to make a wrong diagnosis. He knows where the problem is, and, and His prescription is to change the heart from which everything flows. Listen to this in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 26. It says this, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. God's, God's not interested in a touch-up on you or me. He knows that our sin runs deeper than what just the eye can see. He knows that. And so what God wants to do is he wants to start with the root from which everything else grows. And he wants to have a complete overhaul. He says, let's start with the heart because if you have a pure heart, everything else is going to fall in place. I really believe that. If you have a pure heart, if you let God purify your heart, everything else will fall in place. So what does having a pure heart change? So the first thing, having a pure heart, it's going to change who you obey. Pretty simple, right? This is the first thing that changes in the life of every Christian. When we put our faith in Christ, it's just one of the necessary things is repentance, right? And we talk about repentance. It's a turning away from sin, and it's a turning to Jesus. And Jesus began his ministry, Matthew 4, 17, when he said this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, you've been going your own way. Turn around. Turn from your sin. Turn to me. Follow me. I'll take care. I'll take care of the other things. You just give your heart to me. This is, this is a first step. And so when, we, when it changes who we obey, what's the change? Where's it taking place? The first thing is going to take me from living for my desires first to living for him. Putting my desires first or living from God. This is, this is like repentance 101. This is, this is following, turning to Jesus 101. The easiest way to live your life in the way this world's kingdom is set up is to do as you please, when you please, right? And, and some people would even say that that's the epitome of freedom, doing what you want whenever you want. That's real freedom. Because you can, you, you're not letting anybody else tell you what to do. You just, whatever you feel like doing, you do. And so we think of that as freedom, but the reality is a person who lives that way is enslaved to their own desires. You can, have you ever thought about that? You can become enslaved to your own desires. 
And guess what? Everybody in this room, we all have desires, temptations that aren't good. We all face them. Nobody, you never get beyond facing a temptation. We're all going to face temptation. There was a, a saint at, at the church I grew up in. I remember him being 92, 93 years old. And he would say, he would say, Travis, at 93 years old, at 92 years old, I face temptations now that I never faced my whole life. I mean, I would think you would outgrow it. But, but you don't outgrow temptation. There's always the opportunity to do what we want. And so what some people can do is we can just say, I'm going to do whatever I want, think it's freedom. But Romans 6.16 says this, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And this isn't just the worst of sinner that does this right this isn't just the worst of sinner that does this because not every desire that you and I have is necessarily bad right you could obey your desires some of your desires might be um, you want to be a good father so you could be a good father while still being enslaved to your desires some of you may really care um, about what other people think and so if you know if you miss church too much people are gonna say something or you might feel a little pressure or something so you keep going to church because you have a desire to be liked by other people. So you can obey God on those points where it's pleasurable, but on the parts where it's difficult, you, like we would say, I'm not gonna go that way. That's what it's like to be enslaved to your desires. It's not all evil all the time. It's all me all the time. That's what it's like to be enslaved to your desires. But here's a, there's another one that we face, guys, and uh, it can be really common we can really shape our lives and conform to other people's expectations of us. What is so-and-so going to think if I do that? What would my friend think? What would my boyfriend or girlfriend think? What would my spouse think? What, what would these other people think if I did the thing God was calling us to? And I know that there's at least one person in this room who has struggled with this at some point because he's up here, okay, it's me. But there was a point in my life when I would never ever be able to please God because I cared too much what other people thought about me. I needed other people's approval so much that there was no way my life could please God until I had allowed myself to say, you know what, it's okay if I let a few people down because I have to be the man God's calling me to be. See, Galatians 1.10 says it like this. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? If I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. I remember the first time I read that verse in the Bible. I circled it like a hundred times because I had never realized that my people-pleasing was getting in the way of my Savior serving. I never realized that the, my desire and drive to make you happy, to make other people happy, could get in the way, and you know what? I could put that over what God wanted for my life. But I did, and, and it got in the way, and I began to obey what other people wanted me to do and who they wanted me to be, instead of just being who God wants me to be. So. 
We have to turn from our own desires. We can't live for other people's expectations. What we have to do, if you want to have a pure heart, is just simply turn to the God who loves you and cares for you. And what blows my mind more than anything about my life when I look back, because I believed God loved me and I believed that God knew everything. I, believe, I, I just believed that He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was best for me. What blows my mind is the person who loves me the most and knows me the most was the person that took me the longest time to trust. He knew. He knows your future. He knows your present. He knows your temptations. And the only reason he brings conviction is because he knows it's not what's best for your life. And he knows it's not what's best for your eternity. He loves you. And what blows my mind is why did it take me so long why did I waste years of my life not trusting the person who knows the most and loves me the most? Think about it, parents. You ask your kids to obey, why? Because you love them. And you don't know everything. We don't know everything like God. But you know some things your kids are gonna face before they face them. You've, you've been there, you've grown up. You see where some decisions are going and so we, you put restrictions on them. You either say, don't do this, or you say, hey, you need to start doing this. This is going to be best for you. And you hope, you pray that your kid will trust you because you know more than they do and you want what's best for their life. Who's a more loving father than God? Who's more knowledgeable than God? Who knows more about you than God? And see, this is, this is the trust factor. Even when you don't understand everything that God's calling you to, when he convicts you, when he leads you, are you willing to trust in the one who knows you better than you know yourself and who loves you more than anyone else could ever love you? And see, when you have that trust, it helps you. It's what like allows you to turn from these things. Because maybe if it's been living for your own desires, you wonder how you could ever be fulfilled or be happy or what would happen if I really started following God and gave him everything, that would mean I, this would have to change. And that provides happiness for me or that provides joy for me or that's a relationship I could never see end. And if you, if you, if you, if you trust God, when he calls you to do something, even though it's hard, you know on the other side he's going to make it better. He's got your best interest in mind. And so th this is really all this stuff we're talking about. This is a first step, really. This is a first step into having a pure heart. Not living for myself anymore, not living for pleasing other people, but living for God and trusting that his plan is best for me. Because see, Having a pure heart, it's not just going to change who you obey, it's going to change what you live for. It's going to change what you live for. Maybe the most overlooked part of holiness or heart purity. Could be. Remember what we said earlier in Proverbs 4.23? Everything you do flows from your heart. I like the way the NLT says it. Listen to how it translates to the same verse. It says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. It determines the course of your life. And see, Jesus wants to forgive you, but he wants to direct you. 
He wants to lead you. And so having a pure heart, remember, it means there's one thing that I give 100% to, and that's the thing I'm going to pursue with my life because my heart directs the course of my life. And I'll tell you, one of the best examples I've seen of somebody directed by one thing Somebody, I don't know if there's anybody in this room who likes him, but I'm going to say his name anyway. His name's Tom Brady. Ever heard of that guy? Anybody like Tom Brady and not ashamed to raise your hand and say it? Whoa, we got one. Okay. I, I know he's not popular around here, but I read an article on him a few years ago that I have never forgotten. Because Tom understands one thing. He understands football. He's good at football. Second best quarterback, Peyton Manning, right? Okay, I'm not going to say he's the best. But I, I read an article of him, and he said this. He says, football, that's number one in my life. I order my life around football. He said, my off-season, what I eat, it's all focused on what's going to make me the best football player. My, my family time, I'm going to have it. I'm going to have vacations, but I, we're only going to do it when I can train because I order my life. I'm building my entire life around football. I want to be the best that I can. It's going to change what I eat. It's going to change how I exercise. It's going to change what time I get up. And he started talking about all the things he does that he doesn't like because of the one thing he does like, which is football. And he's taken it so far, I just Googled it yesterday, just looking up to see if I could find that same story that I'd read years ago. And you know what the top headline was I saw? It said, Tom Brady's wife says, Tom loves football more than he loves her. She said that. She said, I come second to football. It's obvious. Tom Brady lives for one thing, to be the best football player he could possibly be and you know what in a lot of ways Tom Brady makes me look pretty bad because he's playing for something that's temporary and it directs his whole life and I'm living for something eternal what's that do to my life have I allowed this one thing to capture me and say, Jesus, I'm living for you 100%. If it's going to impact me negatively for the kingdom, I'm not going to do it. Even if I want to. If it's something that's going to help me be the man you've called me to be. If it's something that's going to bring you praise. If it's something that's going to advance your kingdom, I'm going to do it. And you know what? I hope that my wife says, I come second to Jesus. It's not okay if she comes second to football, but it's okay if she comes second to Jesus. I hope my kids say, the only person dad ever loved more than me was Jesus. I want, them to, I want to love them so much, but I understand my love is much greater when I love Jesus first, when I allow him to change my life, when I have a pure heart and I don't live for my own desires anymore, because then I get in a healthy relationship with others. See, remember how we can live to please other people and how that can be a negative. We can change who we are. But when we know Jesus, when he's first, when he's our one thing, then we are a light to every other person that we know. We can be an encouragement. We can build them up. I, I mean, we can, we can point them to Jesus and we can love them like crazy because they're number two. Christ is number one.
And so everybody, guys, we have things competing for the number one spot. Everybody's got things competing for the number one spot. Tom Brady, one of the things he had competing for the number one spot was his wife. What's going what's to what's be number one? Is it going to be football or is it going to be my wife? And, and we all have things competing. And to be honest, sometimes it's hard to tell. You know, God, are you number one? But Scripture says we can pray and say, Lord, examine my heart. Test me, search me, know me. And one other thing I found that helps me too is this. It's real simple. Write down maybe the three things, the five things, the, the ten things that you think, these are things I'm living for. However many you feel like would even be in the conversation, write them down. And then look at them and say, what takes priority over the other? Because whatever is your number one thing, it doesn't mean you're never going to do your number two thing or your number three thing, but number one takes priority. Number one takes priority. See, I, I once worked a job where I was in sales for a while and faced some difficult situations. At one point, I was managing a bunch of sales reps and I was moving up in this company. I was, and things were going good. I hadn't been there very long. But I was serving the Lord. He was my number one, right? But I want to have a good career. I mean, that's a good thing, too. And I want to do well. And, and, and so I, had, I managed all these sales reps selling to businesses credit card machines. And what I found out was that one of my sales reps, and then two or maybe even three, there was a few of them, but one especially, were taking advantage of people. They were lying to them. They, they would say one thing, they'd, they'd write another thing down, they'd hide parts of the agreement, the contract, they were, they were really putting people in a bad deal. And the guy I worked for, um, you know, he's a, he, he was a Christian and everything, and, uh, and I, I said, you know, I just really felt in my heart I needed to go talk to him. So I, I talked to a couple other people who, who knew him and who I could trust, it, it, Christian brothers, and they said, if you go talk to him about that, well, I remember one person specifically saying this. They said, if you go talk to him about that, that's the end of your job. Here I am. How, what am I going to do? He says, if you talk to him about that, it's the end of your job. So here I have. See, this is the, this is the situations I'm talking about. What's going to take priority? I can either just pretend I don't know what's going on, but I do know. And no one else would know, but God knows my heart. So I can pretend like I don't know what's going on. No one at church would know. No one at home would know. I could keep it covered up. Or I could go to my boss and do what my friend says will in my job. Man, I prayed about it. I had a group of guys and we all prayed. And I, I ended up going to my boss. And I went in there and I sat in there for 45 minutes with him. It was after work one day and I said, this is what's going on this, that, and the other. I, I told him the whole story, and he looked at me, and, and uh, he, he, it was one of those things where I could tell I was being written off as I said it. Like, he's kind of saying, yeah, well, let me see what I can find out. I'll, I'll see what I can do. And, uh, so I, I, and then he had a phone call. We didn't really get to finish our conversation. It had been 45 minutes, and I left, and I said, I'm going to give it a week. If I don't see anything, if, I, if, I, if nothing changes, I'm putting in my two weeks. I'm out of here. I mean, I was done. I come to work on Monday morning. I walk in. My boss has a meeting scheduled for the whole team at 11 a.m. 
And he says, hey, I hear there's some things going on. If you hear one thing that a sales rep is doing that is shady, I want it on my desk. I want a memo. We're sending out one warning. Anybody who's doing it, second warning, they're gone. We're changing, we're changing how we're dealing with this. And God spoke to me right there in that moment. He says, I just knew it as clear as day. He said, Travis, this wasn't even about you. This was about him. Because this man was a Christian too. And he'd been letting it slide under the rug. And so God challenged him when he challenged me. But none of it would have happened if I didn't have a pure heart. And let me tell you, everything changed after that. Sales reps were let go. People cleaned up their acts. Things changed in that place. And I had nothing to do with it. All I had to do was have a pure heart and be obedient and keep my one thing, my one thing. But you can't do this on your own, guys. And I know the realities of life, and I know there's people here today who want to serve God, who want to have a pure heart, but maybe there's one thing or two things that you've been struggling with over and over and over, and you just can't seem to get past. I know about it. I've struggled with that myself. And that's when I got into the whole sin management phase I talked about earlier. And where I would just try to plug the holes in the boat so that there wouldn't, I wouldn't be sinking. But let me tell you, it doesn't work. And for some of you in this room who've been trying to plug the holes, you could testify right now. It's not working. Because we can't just change ourselves. But there is a way. There is a way. See, the things that you feel are unchangeable in your life, there's one person who can change them. The sin that's been a perpetual struggle for a month, two months, six months, two years, there's one person who can change it. It's Jesus. He can change you. He can change the unchangeable in you. Think about this. He says, I will give you a new heart. He's not going to give you a new heart with all the same old problems in it. He promises to cleanse us. He promises to purify us. And some of us have been struggling with one thing, whatever it may be, for a long time. And so we hear a message like this and we say, yeah, but that's not for me because I've struggled in this area for so long. I just want to share a passage as we close from 1 John 1, 9. It's familiar to us, but it's a promise from Scripture. For each one of us here, it's for, it's for you. Here's what it says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What's your job? You want a pure heart? If you're here today and you want a pure heart, what's your job? Confess. Just confess. You, you don't have to do anything spectacular. You just come up and you say, God, you know. You know I'm struggling with this. You know I haven't been giving you 100%. You know this area of my life that I can't overcome. Whatever it may be, you just confess and you say, God, this is who I have been. This is who I am. I need your help. You confess and you trust. That's your job. You confess and you trust him. You, you admit it all, leave it to God, and you trust what he says. Because here's God's part. Second half of this verse, it says that he will forgive us our sins 
and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to do the cleansing work. Jesus does it. You don't have to earn his forgiveness. He paid the price. So whatever it might be, I'm telling you, Jesus can change the unchangeable in you. And so we're gonna have just a song here at the end as we close. And just, you can come on up, yeah. As we close, I just would encourage you to ask God to pray the very simple prayer that David would pray. Lord, search me. Examine my heart. And you could pray another prayer David prayed. God, create in me a clean heart. He will do it. His promises are true. And so this morning, as we close and as we sing a song, if you'd like to come, don't worry about what anyone else thinks. Don't, don't worry about any of that. Coming forward isn't saying that you've been doing something terrible and everyone's going to judge you. No way. I had to go this week. I had to be like David, who would continually pray this prayer, Lord, examine my heart. Because things can creep in there without me even knowing it. I had to pray this prayer this week and say, God, give me a pure heart. Don't let anything come in the way between me and you. So don't be ashamed. Don't let anything like that hold you back. If you sense the Lord speaking to you this morning about anything, won't you come forward? We're going to pray. Altars are open. We're going to sing a song. This is your time just to meet with the Lord and trust him to do what only he can do in your life. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful, God, that though we have fallen and fallen again, your promise is still true today. Lord, if anyone in this room, whatever it may be that they're struggling with, Lord, if they would just open their heart to you, confess, God, you would bring full cleansing. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give each of us the courage and the boldness, God, to step forward and come if you're speaking to our heart today. We love you in Jesus' name.